On this episode of the Redmond Report, I talk about all things October, Microsoft botching Windows 10 updates, and what the heck is going on with the Xbox Slim. This is the Redmond Report. Today is Friday, August 21st, and this is the Redmond Report. So this is really a good week. Uh, a lot of good things came out. Um, since hopefully most of you guys have been listening for a while and know that not all of it was new, although some people pretended it was, definitely was not. Um, but to get some clarifi- clarification out of the way, last week I said I was going to be in Redmond um, the week of August 31st. That's actually changed. I am going to be in Redmond next week, actually. I am getting in on Tuesday the 25th, and I leave, um, actually I leave on Friday at like 11.15 p.m. on a red eye. And that's not going to be a lot of fun, mostly because I have a kid. And it's a four-hour flight, which really means max sleep potential is around three hours when you include getting you know, getting up in the air, landing, and all that good stuff. And so my flight gets in I'm to Cincinnati at about 6.15 a.m., and my kid usually wakes up at about 6.30, which means there's no quiet time in the house until she takes a nap, or unless my wife is going to be gracious and, and take her out so I can get some sleep. But anyways, so I will actually be in Redmond next week, and if you want to hang out, let me know. I've got some meetings set up. Um, there's nothing too crazy going on. There is actually an event on campus. And I don't think any of this is under embargo or anything. Um, but it's more of an enterprise type thing. And so the reason why I changed the dates is I wanted to go to this. And I also want to learn more about Windows Update for Business. I've been getting a lot of questions about that, exactly how it works. And, and frankly, I need to know. Um, I know the concept of what Windows Update for Business is, but I've not actually seen it in person, and I'm going to get some hands-on time with that stuff and get to talk to some people and uh, really dive deep into what that entails for the enterprise. Um, So yeah, so that's going on next week, which makes me wonder how I'm going to do the Redmond Report. I might have to do it a day later. Yeah, Ryan, actually, you spurred all this, so I owe you um, a thank you because I started asking questions about Windows Update for Business, and they kept directing me to blog posts that were several months old, and I was like, look, guys, I know all this stuff, but I really just want to see it. And so they're promising me that I can talk to some people about it and get some get some better information um, to help pass along um, because the enterprise is a big deal with Windows 10. Microsoft is pushing it, so they need to be more transparent about this type of stuff. So yeah, so we are, that's what I'm doing, and which makes, begs the question of what I'm going to do with the Redmond report, because it might be kind of hard to actually do it, well, I guess I could do it from Redmond in a hotel room. Um, the time will definitely have to change, but I will keep everybody posted. I might have to do it a day later um, or something, but uh, the, the typical time I will be in meetings and the like, so keep that in mind. If you're in the area, let me know and we can we can arrange some things. Actually trying to meet up with some people for dinner on Friday. So that would actually be really convenient if that works out for you. So let's kind of jump into the news here. A lot happened per usual with Microsoft this week. And Microsoft has announced that they are going to not detail every single update to Windows 10. This is a really big problem and it's really, really annoying. And so they said they're only going to detail the significant updates. For example, the update that went out last week, it was not verbatim, but it was um, general improvements and fixes, which is layman terms for I'm too lazy to actually write out what it is, even if it's just dumb things. I, I, I don't know why they won't detail this stuff out. Um, it, it seems, I want to say it's lazy, 
but I'm not, I don't know. Like Microsoft, you make a lot of money. This is pretty important stuff. You're pushing out updates specifically. The enterprise is going to want to know what the heck these updates are. And you're not going to give every single detail. So it's a little bit frustrating. And I'm, I'm hoping to get a chance to actually talk to them about this next week and really try to understand why they don't want to detail every single update. Because for people who cover Microsoft, it's important to know what's changed because if you if you have a reader or a user that has a bug and they finally patch it, you can actually pass that along and say, hey, look, yeah, this is great. But if they're just going to say general improvements and fixes, I mean, it's just like flip the table over type frustration. Um, this is your bread and butter. This is your operating system. And you're going to do these cumulative updates, which are great, and you're going to push things out quickly, which is even better. But if you're not going to tell us what you're doing, that's the other half of the equation that we need to understand. And so it's really frustrating, and I hope that they go back on this and get a lot of pushback from everybody. Um, from the comments, says they don't want to spook people with all the updates. I don't think it's spooking people. I mean, generally, generally speaking, patches are a good thing, right? Sometimes they do break stuff, but... Um, they don't need to put the detail in and to clarify they don't need to put the detail in the windows update uh, mechanism they need to put it on the support page which is where i'm, I'm referring to um, the kb page they always do a, a kb number and that's the url for the the windows update that's where that detail needs to be it doesn't necessarily need to be in the settings you know click settings windows update it doesn't need to be there but they need to have a proper change log which is the fundamentals of software and why they won't go public with it. I mean, even if it's if it's related to things to activation that they don't want to talk about, all they gotta do is just say it's related to activation. Let's just be let's just be clear about what you guys are doing. Uh, because if something does go wrong, if you push an update out and suddenly right mouse click inside of the mail app doesn't work, but they just say general improvements to apps, then you need to know like what they did so you can help them troubleshoot. I mean, you gotta understand that the people that want to know this detailed information are the people who are gonna give good feedback. And as the yeah, the comments point out again, it's the enterprises would want it even more. Pro users are going to want to know it. This is it's baffling. It really is. I don't understand this. Um, I, I just don't understand the logic behind this and what Microsoft is thinking. So Microsoft, if you're listening, and I know quite a few of you are because I can see the stats through SoundCloud that there's a, a couple hundred people listening from Seattle each week. Um, really give some good internal feedback about this. Uh, if you know why they're not doing it, pass it along too. Maybe that'll help clarify the situation. But um, please, please let us know because you're our only eyes and ears, people inside the walls. I'm going to try to figure it out, but I have a feeling they're not going to tell me. But um, yeah, so that's a boneheaded move by Microsoft. And it, it can't be a resource thing. I just can't imagine that, really. I mean... Do you imagine the company saying, nah, we don't have enough time and resources to create a proper change log? Like, there's no logic. I can't understand the logic behind this. But Microsoft, that's what they said. So, yeah, kumbaya. Good luck with the updates. Hopefully they don't break anything because if they do, then we can't really help you because we don't know what you changed and we don't know how to test it. So there's that. Anyways, I would say the ranting is done, but it's not. Um, so Windows 10 privacy stuff has been all over the news again. Again, Windows 10 privacy stuff. So if you're if you're a serious privacy nut, and I always have this mixed thing with privacy. I, I completely understand privacy is should be completely in your control. There's I don't argue with this. If if you want to control something about your information, you should have that right to be able to stop it from going out. And if you 
if you're using Windows 10 and you don't want to use have that issue, just turn off Cortana. Um, if you're there's some other things that go on where metrics go back or telemetry goes back, but every OS has this to some extent. Um, the people who are raising these concerns about privacy aren't people who are saying, you know what, I'm really like kind of nervous about this. Though these are people who are using Siri and Google now saying, ah, oh, privacy, I'm just going to, you know, rant and rave about how bad Windows 10 is. But the problem is, this is the society we live in. And it's not just saying, ah, oh, you know what, you should just be less concerned about your privacy. It's that if you want these features, you have to give up something. If you want, if you want Cortana or Google now to know that you have a flight tomorrow and that they can tell you when to leave and what the traffic is, they have to know where you are and when you're going. There's no, there's no other way to do this. And these people are freaking out saying, you know what, I want this traffic. I want Cortana to tell me um, how driving home from work today is going to be. But I don't want to give up the privacy. Well, that doesn't work. That's like saying you want to drink milk, but you also want to be lactose intolerant. Well, you don't want to be lactose intolerant, but if, like, you can't do these things. You can't mix the oil and water here. It's either yes, you want these features, or no, you want privacy. And so you have to make a decision here, and it's not just Microsoft. It's every piece of software you're using. And the way this came back up again is Spotify got railed um, in the media for their new privacy policy. Now, granted, they didn't do the best job of describing it, um, but it, it came out blank that they wanted access to your photos and your GPS. And everyone's like, why do they need my location? Why do they need my photos? Well, because they didn't do a good job clarifying, uh, features that consumers or users, I should say, wanted features that allowed you to use custom artwork for your playlists. Great, okay. So how do you get that? Well, they need access to your photos so you can use a photo as your playlist. It's the same thing. Um, the GPS requirement. I use Spotify to run. I ran uh, two and a half miles this morning and Nike workout app has a feature that allows you to tie into Spotify and based on how quickly you are running, it, it determines your pace and then chooses music that is at that same, roughly that same rhythm. So the music matches your run rate. And so how do they determine how fast you're running? Well, they need your GPS so they can tell you that how quickly you're moving. So it's the, the, and then there's the dumb people out there saying, I'm giving up Spotify. And then they're using Google now to ask about where the local restaurants are, right? Uh, people, I think a lot of people, and this is going to come out bad. A lot of people say that they're really privacy conscious, but then at the same time, they're posting their photos and everything else on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then that's it. I mean, realistically, folks, if people want to use that data against you, when every time you post that you're on vacation, they know you're not home and they're going to break into your house. Like it's, it's just that if you want the features, you have to give up something. It's, there's always a give and take in everything in this world. If you want a higher paying job, generally you have to work harder or work longer. So anywho, that's kind of the rant on this privacy stuff. And I think it's much ado about nothing. If you're that concerned about privacy, um, you're not using, you're, you're, you shouldn't be using a smartphone because smartphones have GPS sensors in them. Um, you shouldn't be using Siri. You should not be using Google now. You should not be using Cortana. Um, frankly, you should not be using email from any of the major vendors such as Gmail, Outlook, or even Yahoo. So you have to give and give, give and to get. And yes, the nice thing is, is with the modern devices that we have, like Windows and even I know iOS and Google is finally coming around to this with Android Marshmallow, which will be on your phone. Um, probably never, you'll just buy a new one to get it. Unless you have a Nexus device or potentially a high-end Samsung. 
But um, these devices do have, and I know Windows has it too, you can go in and you can manually set which apps can access these things, your GPS and that kind of stuff. So that that's the privacy trade-off that you can now do um, to make sure that the apps that you want to know and help you out are correctly aligned to your interests. But um, every time I see this, this privacy stuff comes up all the time. And it comes out every time there's a new software release, every time a company updates their agreement. But they have to. It's At least they're being honest about it. So, you know, take it for granted for what it is. Anywho, that should hopefully be the end of the ranting um, for this episode. Or maybe not, I don't know. So Outlook for iOS got updated. I, I love the Outlook team. Uh, I love what Microsoft is doing here. Because Microsoft is doing things that Apple can't right now. We've talked about how they put Outlook on the Apple Watch and you can now respond to email. Joel says he only listens for the ranting. Well, I'll keep it fast and heavy. Um, there'll be some more ranting coming later, but not nearly as in-depth. But anyway, so Outlook is doing things faster than Apple because Apple has fallen into the hole that Microsoft fell into. And I, nobody's really drawing this parallel. So in, it's only because of Windows 10 now. So with Windows 10, the Mail app is a separate component and Microsoft can update it whenever the heck they want. On iOS, Apple cannot do this iOS, to update the mail app, Apple has to ship an entire new OS because it's baked into the OS. It, they fell into the old Microsoft hole of everything should be one and one should be everything rather than Windows 10, which is completely compartmentalized. So Microsoft is now able to iterate faster because they're using the app model on iOS to push out new updates. Apple can't do this because they have to push out a whole new OS. This is the same issue like Windows 7 and Windows 8 had. And so I find this hilarious that Microsoft is now doing um, all this stuff faster than Apple can. And they're giving better experiences on iOS and Apple, um, which whose UI is, uh, I'm trying to read the comments here. Apple's UI has gone to crap lately and their apps are no longer the top for the best. So to a, Condensa, I'm probably pronouncing her, says the real problem here aren't apps anymore or OS integration or system app integration. Unfortunately, it's about branding. Um, and I mean, I kind of agree to an extent, but I just, I just like how Microsoft has taken this whole rapid release cycle and pushed out very quickly to all facets of the company. And so now they're pushing out apps faster than Apple can. They're pushing out updates to everything else. And Windows 10 now allows you to do this as well. So it's just kind of interesting to see how Apple is now um, kind of stuck in this OS regimented update. And I'll be curious to see if they move to a more compartmentalized model with, I don't think iOS 9 is going to be able to do that. Um, but we'll see if they go uh, with iOS 10 or I wonder if they'll call it iOS X or whatever the heck they're going to call it. So we'll see. Apple's pretty boneheaded and thick about their updates. Rightfully so. They have a huge market share and they don't want to disrupt um, the users too much with fast updates yes fast, up, fast updates are generally good but for the very basic consumer they don't like change yeah joel says they'll invent compartmentalization um, they'll probably call them containers and then just confuse everybody in the enterprise market so anyways outlook for ios updated worth the update um, i use it daily it's a great app it's much better than microsoft's built-in stuff highly recommend it so let's get to the more fun stuff. So this week, a website called WP Dang. Um, I know the individual who runs this. Actually, if you ever watched a video on Neowin, uh, where we did, or I should say I did, uh, real-time Mandarin translation using Skype Translator, 
the individual on the other side of that conversation was the guy who runs WP Dang. So I've met him a couple times. He's a great guy. And he uh, pinged me and said, hey, I've got a lot of information coming out. I got some hardware scoops. And he said, basically, Surface, um, Windows Phone, City Man, Talk Man, and the band are coming in October. And I was like, great. I wrote about that a month ago. And everybody ran this WP Dang stuff. And I, there's a post. It's called Microsoft Will Refresh Hardware Ahead of the Holidays. I wrote it in early August. Um, that's exactly what he did. Um, I had that information for a while. And so, anyways... They say, yes, Windows is going, or Microsoft is going to refresh all this hardware. And it's good from one thing, um, mostly because it validates everything that I had heard originally, and it's finally making its way outside the deeper thrones. Um, generally, when things make it into China, too, this is a fun fact for you, means they're in production. So when things get in production, um, I can get a lot more access to it through friends over there. And so these devices are now being built, I believe. Um, I believe the Surface Pro 4 should be in construction too, although I don't know exactly where or who's building it, but generally this is how the things work. But anyways, so Surface Pro 4 October is, is looking very good. Um, looks like a New York City launch event. Um, Mary Jo Foley, I believe, said that might be at their, at their new flagship store, which would be interesting. Uh, but anywho, so regarding specs, Skylake is a lock that should be there for certain. Um, I'm hearing rumors or murmurs that it's going to be fanless too. And so I have a lot of questions. I, I honestly hope it's not fanless because the trade-off with fanless is that when you run an application like Photoshop or you do some video rendering, rather than like a fan spinning up to cool off the chip, the chip throttles down. And so I haven't written about it being fanless because I'm not sure it's right. Because for a pro device, it, it can't, it cannot be throttle clock like that. That's completely counterintuitive to what the Pro line is. Sure, the Surface 3 makes a lot of sense to be fanless. It doesn't need, to, it's not going to be running video rendering software or anything like that. Not that I think people buy, buy the Pro 3 to run AutoCAD, but anything, but you're going to run Photoshop on it. You're going to do some light video editing, and you don't want the, the CPU to clock down in those sort of instances. So if it comes with a fanless design, which, and I'll explain why I'm not sure if that's correct, um, I'll be a bit disappointed. The reason being is that Microsoft previously announced that all of the hardware accessories, like the dock specifically, would be compatible, I believe, with the new Surface Pro 4. Um, they said that they'd be forward compatible, I think was their terminology. And so if they go to a fanless design, um, it's gonna. It would, in theory, allow them to make the device thinner, which may not necessarily work with the dock. Um, but I, I would ha if they came out with the exact same frame and just beefed up internals. Which everything I've heard is that it looks very similar to the old one. There's no big drastic changes. Is that uh, it would then work with everything? I think the device, the device shape and size. I'm not a huge fan of this. Everybody goes thin as possible that Apple has made because then you sacrifice battery life. Uh, potentially, maybe the fanless is a new uh, model. Potentially, I don't. I don't think they're going to do Core M though. I would be surprised um, because they don't want to muddy that skews up. Because right now they have a fanless and they have a, a Pro device. If they start introducing Core M, they will definitely need some sort of like i7 high-end device. The Core M is not a very powerful chip. It's more powerful than the Atom, but it's much less poor, powerful than the actual core. So I don't know. 
I think they would get too, they'd muddy the waters up too much if they had an atom-based surface, a core M-based surface, and then a pro-based surface that's off of core. So I, I'll be curious to see if that actually happens. I hope it doesn't because although generally when I think things shouldn't happen, Microsoft goes ahead and does them. So that's that. Um, the other thing that came out, and Tom at The Verge wrote that it's not going to have Windows Hello support in the camera. It's not going to support Intel RealSense. And that instead, it's going to have a fingerprint reader on the uh, type cover. Yeah, I, I believe somebody should double check that real quick. But um, So here's my thoughts on this. If it does not have RealSense, it, it's going to be terrible. There, that's that's a huge blow because Windows Hello, if you have not used it, it is amazing. I'm a big fan of this stuff. I'm really, really a big fan of Windows Hello, the RealSense camera, because it works so dang well. Um, when I go to a PC that does not have it, like my XPS 13, I, I really want it. I will probably buy a new laptop with it. Um, that's how much I like it. I only have the demo machine that Microsoft's letting me use right now, the Lenovo Yogo 2 15-inch behemoth. Um, so if it does not have the real sense camera, I'm going to be very disappointed. And Tom was saying instead it'll have this fingerprint reader on the type cover. So I'm wondering if some wires are crossed here. What would make a lot of sense in this is this scenario. It would make sense for Microsoft to include Intel real sense camera in the actual hardware and then ship it with a standard type cover. What would make a whole bunch of sense is if they then offered a type cover with a fingerprint reader so that people who have a Surface Pro 3 can then use Windows Hello via the fingerprint sensor on a type cover. I think that scenario makes a whole lot more sense than not shipping the Pro 4 with the, the RealSense camera. So, yeah. Um, somebody said, Hello is nice. Having a big creative camera on a computer is not however. I'd like to see Microsoft come a new webcam. Um, so Intel RealSense is completely integrated into the frame. So it, it's not a nice, the cameras you're seeing are the Intel dev units or the developer kits. Um, in a proper laptop, you cannot distinguish it for the most part from an actual, a normal webcam. It looks exactly the same. So just kind of keep that in mind that it's completely built in to the display. It's not some external device. So I'm hoping that they would do a type cover with a fingerprint reader and that would allow Pro 3 owners to get some access to Windows Hello. I think I really think that scenario makes a lot more sense. So we'll see what happens there. Um, somebody wrote, if you do RealSense on SP4 and a fingerprint and keyboard, you have another auth mechanism for multi-factor authentication. So uh, Philly, that's Philly wrote that. That, that is a good point, but um, generally two-factor would need to be two different types of authentication. So that would be two forms of biometric. Um, essentially, that'd be one person standing there doing it. What they would, what what would be a better scenario is you do bio factor, either fingerprint or face, and then you have a password or more than likely a PIN. That way, if somebody puts you, because this is a very real scenario um, that came about. So imagine and this is a little bit more, but I think we've talked about this, like with only a fingerprint sensor and nothing else, if somebody passes out or whatever, you can take their thumb and hold it up to their phone and unlock it. 
but if they're if they're unconscious or whatever morbid scenario you want to think about but if they have a pin then you have to know two different things and it would be the same issue if they only used finger and face because then you could still use the individual um, biometric features even if they were not conscious from that aspect and that's Microsoft, yeah, Joel points out, it's very dark. Microsoft, yeah, Microsoft pointed this out to me, though. They said, this is why we push for when people, especially more so for the enterprise, when they talk to them, they say, we push for Windows Hello and a four-digit PIN. Um, generally, PINs are very easy to remember. You can do whatever you want. And people aren't going to, even if people crack the PIN, they have to have your face. So it's, it's a really strong mechanism because you have the two factors. And, yeah, so that's that's where two-factor really comes into play. But anyway, so more about this October event. The Band 2 looks to be a lock for that as well. I still don't know too much about that. Um, the Lumia Cityman Talkman, we talked extensively about that um, in the Redmond report titled Ice Cream Scoops. That was two weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that one yet, definitely do because I have images here, uh, marketing material of the of the devices that um, that show off what it, could, what it, what it is. They, it shows off everything. So make sure to listen to that episode. It covers the exterior in exquisite detail. The other item that came up here is the Xbox Slim. So um, WP Dying is saying this is coming in October as well. That fact I am not so sure about. I don't have strong sources pointing either way about October for the Xbox Slim. But... um, a couple, a couple of sources here. I don't want to say how many, um, but it's more than one. Do agree that Xbox Slim is a real thing. It does actually exist inside of Microsoft and is being built or designed or whatever. The reason why I'm not so sure about October is it doesn't really... I mean, it would be a monstrous event for Microsoft to hold one keynote that has all of that hardware. So much so that they would have to be worried that things are just going to get lost in, um, in in the press because you'd have too much going on. And which is why I had initially heard that there's actually two keynotes, one in September for the phones, um, potentially the band, but the phones, and then one in September, um, which would have been the Pro 4 uh, announcement. Um, so I, w- I would be really, I mean, can you imagine a Microsoft event where they do phone, two phones, a band, uh, Surface Pro 4, that alone would be a ton, and then an Xbox. But anyways, about the Xbox Slim. So the idea here is that they're going to remove the drive. Um, that's a somewhat expensive physical component, being that everything can be done digitally now. It would be an, a cheaper way to produce the Xbox. Um, also smaller case design, thus the Slim name. And there's been some other people asking, saying, okay, is it only going to run... Uh, wind, because it's going to be running Windows 10, is it only going to run Windows 10 games? Um, app games, not actually console games. So you're going to see the issue here that why I don't think that Microsoft is actually going to ship an Xbox Slim that does not play proper Xbox games because what will happen, and this is per conversations with them, is that they will end up in another Windows RT scenario where they'll have an X, unless they don't brand it Xbox Slim, which would be dumb. Because imagine you have an Xbox, a small Xbox, that doesn't run Xbox games, and then you have a large Xbox that does run Xbox games. The consumer is gonna lose their mind trying to figure out what Xbox to buy their kitty for Christmas. And so what I believe they will do is just run a 
feature reduced Xbox Slim. It may not have support for video in as well, so they'd remove that HDMI import. And so if they could get that device for under $300, let's say 250, 275, I think that those things would sell off, they, they would fly off the shelves. So essentially you just have a console that can play games, um, streaming, everything else that Windows Xbox does, minus the DVD drive, minus the TV and DVR functionality, which admittedly a lot of people probably won't use. So removing those two items would reduce cost, allow them to make the device smaller. And it's been two years since the console has launched. So they've definitely achieved um, efficiency with this type of stuff and they'll be able to make the, the PCB a little bit smaller. So I think that's the route that they're going to take with the Xbox Slim, not this um, like set-top box that only plays App Store games. Um, I, I'm pretty confident about that because it, it they're going to have a branding issue if they call something an Xbox again, especially since they're going back to Xbox only being games since they killed off the Xbox Entertainment. And so if they have an Xbox that you can't go out and buy Call of Duty Black Ops and play it on, um, it's going to be a really, really bad scenario. So, yeah. So that's what's going on there. Um, so keep in, keep your eyes open for October, and I think September too. I think I'm not solely convinced they haven't killed the September event. But, um, I mean, there's definitely things in the works, and obviously timelines, shit, timelines slip. Um, but, uh, yeah, so October, it's, I've said this for a while, guys, I said Christmas is coming in October, it really is, it's gonna be, if you're a Microsoft fan, um, October, October is the new December, it really, really is, it's gonna be a fun time for everybody, new hardware, finally some flagships on the Lumia line, and all sorts of stuff, yeah, and as the comments point out, there's gonna be wave two of Threshold that should bring some fun things like extensions, um, even for the Xbox in October, too, you're gonna get Windows 10 on the console, which I'm, the, the user interface, I think is gonna get some slight tweaks as well, which is gonna be great because I really don't like the layout of the Xbox design right now. Um, it's a little clunky. So, yeah, October could be a really expensive month for the credit card. <laughs> yeah, just um, keep that in mind. That, you know, put those pennies away and tell Uncle Nadella that you're ready to buy as soon as he can get them here. So moving on here is Intel and Cortana, or Intel and Microsoft, I should say, teamed up to show off something called uh, it's basically Intel's new sound technology that allows a laptop or like device to listen while in a deep sleep state. And what it will allow you to do is to say, hey Cortana, wake up, and that will turn your computer on. It's actually a pretty cool idea. It's not completely like groundbreaking or anything, but Microsoft and Intel showed this off at the Intel Developer Forum this week. And yeah, so they showed it off on stage and it's I think it's all but guaranteed coming. I don't know why they would use actual Cortana and yeah, so as Ryan points out, it's pretty much Xbox on for the PC. It's very, very similar to that. Like I said, it's nothing brand new, but it will be new for the PC type per se. And I think the real advantage here is how little power that PC is actually using to be able to listen to that functionality. And going back to our privacy rant earlier, um, when this comes out, and I'm, I will all but guarantee 
that Microsoft will put a toggle in Cortana to allow you to turn this feature on and off. Much like they do with Hey Cortana, is that the privacy advocates are going to go crazy over saying that your computer is listening to you at all the time. Um, and so, yeah, so just keep that in mind that whatever, um, privacy nuts will go crazy. It's probably going to come soon. I, your computer will need the feature, um, the actual Intel hardware, much like the Intel Real Sensing. And good job to Intel, to be honest. They've come out with some good stuff. The Real Sense cameras, I think they got some help from Microsoft on that, and this new deep sound technology. Um, you know, they're, they're doing some good things. I'll be curious to see if they never crack into the mobile world. That's a little foreshadowing. Um, so, Brad, any word on universal apps? Will they be ported out to Android and iOS? So, that's a really funny question, actually, because that is like the opposite of everything Microsoft has had issues with. And I don't think they would, because Microsoft is trying to get apps into its world. And their apps on iOS and Android are, frankly, they're better than the universal apps. The Outlook app on iOS is fantastic. It's probably better than the desktop mail app that's built in that's free. And so I don't, I don't foresee them doing that. I don't even think it's technically possible right now. And I don't, I don't think there's any reason for them to do that. Those two stores have enough apps. It's not like Microsoft needs to get their apps into these stores um, with less work. They're doing a great job at doing that. So I don't, I don't believe that they will do that. Um, other things Microsoft did on the Xbox line, they turned on streaming support for 60 frames per second at 1080p on your local network with the caveat it supports it. Uh, if you have a high bandwidth local network, you can now stream games to your Windows 10 machine, which is such an awesome thing. If you haven't tried it out, I really recommend you do. Microsoft is showing the full power of their ecosystem with this play, that you can buy a game on your Xbox, and if you're upstairs and you want to log in and just play it, you can. You can do it right from your surface. Uh, I do it frequently. So that is now enabled, and one of the things I've been looking forward to talking about here, because I know qu quite a bit about this scenario, it says an Italian city ditches open office, says return to Office 365 will reduce IT costs by up to 80%. So what they're basically saying is that OpenOffice was a train wreck. And I want to, I want to talk about OpenOffice here for a second because I've used it quite a bit. Um, you know, I feel ignorant if I talk about something without using it. And here's the thing with OpenOffice. OpenOffice works really well if you're dedicated to learning OpenOffice. It's a lot like Office, but it is not exactly the same. Excel is where Microsoft has a lot of leverage. And so if you're dedicated to learning a new platform to save money, it's fine. The problem with open office is, is when you try to scale it out to users who don't want to learn new things. They just want the same office that they've had every year and they want the same features and the same everything. And they are just trying to get their work done and not save money. And so what happens is, is so these, these governments look at it and say, oh, we can go to open office and not have to pay Microsoft um, $5 per head for our productivity suite. And they're like, yeah, we're going to save a bunch of money. And so they roll out this office stuff. And then everybody realizes that there's a learning curve to it and that it's actually slowing them down. And that all these novice users are now calling IT because either there's file compatibility or anything else. And I'm not trying to say that Microsoft has the only option here, uh, but they are by far the market leader because there's Google Apps and whatnot. And Google Apps is probably a better, better alternative, to be honest, than OpenOffice. But this is the problem that you see time and time again. These governments don't understand that it's more than just a cost saving that what office brings it brings familiarity it brings everything 
all your employees know. And unless you're willing to retrain all of them, which training is the most, one of the most expensive things a company can do, because not only are you spending money to put them in a classroom to learn, that means you're taking away time that they would be doing something that's productive. That's why training is so very expensive. And my companies, don't get me wrong, they like to train their employees, but to spend time to redo that, to save a little bit of money doesn't always work out. And this Italian city, um, learn that. And it's, we've seen it in Germany as well. There was, I think they were trying to get rid of windows and they were like Winlux, I think is what they went to, or maybe it was Ubuntu, but yeah. So the compatibility and all that stuff. So that's just, I, I laugh every time I, I hear this, these companies putting out the, or these, um, governments putting out these large press releases saying, Hey, we're giving up Microsoft. We're going to save X amount of money. And then it, it doesn't materialize in the way because they end up spending more money training or spending more money in hardware or spending more money and getting just ramping up it support to deal with the influx of tickets. It's uh, office has a very strong lock on the productivity market and Microsoft knows this. And I don't see that shaking anytime soon. Google, Docs is trying, and they're they're doing a good job. I'm I'm always for competition, even though it is um, the old El Goog. I am very much for people putting pressure on Microsoft because that's how you drive new changes. That's how Office 365 came. That's how these web apps came about. Is because of yeah, and it's Mahidi. I'm just going to pronounce that's how you pronounce your name. I don't know, but um, that points out. Then there's Apple, Apple. Um, documents whatever they call it pages and notes and and whatnot um that never have really grasped on with anybody outside of people who live in cupertino or i should say work in cupertino i know there are people that use it i've used it a little bit but it's never used in the wide scale um like even i think i want i'd actually be really interesting i wonder if google docs is used more widely than apple is it apple works i believe or whatever the apple um, productivity suite is. I bet Google Docs has more users. Um, but anywho, on good news for Windows 10, I should say good news for Microsoft, iWorks. There we go. That's that's the name. So good news for Windows 10 is that Bank of America has actually announced that they are going to go to Windows 10 as fast as feasibly possible. So this is this is actually really good for Microsoft and the industry as a whole. Um, for a lot of reasons. One, financial institutions are generally thought of as the slow-moving adopters of anything, mostly because if they screw up, it's not um, products being screwed up. It's it's literally money being screwed up. Um, so as Joel points out, the, the same company that pulled their app, well, market share tells them not to support it, but this is their own productivity. And so they said they're going to move to Windows 10, and their CIO made a point that going from XP to 7 was a lot harder than it's going to be going from 7 to 10, which makes a lot of sense because you don't have to worry so much about the legacy applications at that point. It's just, it's more of a, I don't want to say simple upgrade at that scale. It's a massive undertaking. But they have learned, much like every other company hopefully learned, that if you, you can't just sit on an OS forever. It just doesn't work. You lose security features. You lose, eventually you lose support. And I don't think Microsoft is going to be as gracious with Windows 7. Um, like they were with XP, at least I hope not. They should not even toy with that idea. And so the whole industry moving to Windows 10 will be a good thing. And that drives Microsoft's, obviously, revenue because they have to pay for those licenses and also their attempt at getting um, a billion users, which 
don't be fooled by that billion number. It's extremely easy for Microsoft to doing that. They said, and as pointed out in the comments, XP lasted so long because of Vista. A very good point. Very, very relevant point. Um, but yeah, so hopefully they will move to Windows 10. And it's a good thing for Microsoft. Oh, I know what I was thinking. So Microsoft said they want to have a billion machines within three years. And that sounds like a lot of numbers. And it really is. Don't get me wrong. It is. But a billion machines isn't nearly as many as you think it is. So on average, there's about 200 million uh, on, the, on the low end, 200 million Windows machines being built. So those will all ship with Windows 10. So that's 600 million over three years. And then you have people upgrading, so which we already know is um, about 60 million right now. So you factor that in, then you factor Xbox consoles, and you factor everything else and getting to a billion machines. If they don't get to a billion, billion machines, the Microsoft is in serious trouble. So the billion machines is just a fluff number. I, I really believe it is. And they're also including IoT in that, so it's... It, yeah, that's, don't get caught up in that number. And also this week, Microsoft shoved out a new build of Windows 10, 10525. And the funny thing about this build is that it broke Chrome. And the reason why I find this hilarious, so it broke the 64-bit build of Chrome. And the reason it built it, or broke it, is because Google was using an undocumented API in Windows to achieve some performance and a whole bunch of other stuff. I shouldn't say a whole bunch of other stuff, just some certain features. And so when they Microsoft updated to 10525, they changed that undocumented API. It was related to memory compression. And so Google's Chrome stopped working. And what's funny about this is that Google railed on Microsoft for building a YouTube app that used an undocumented public API. And so you can see the irony here is Google's getting mad. Google got mad at Microsoft saying, hey, you can't use that API, it's not public. And then here we find out Google is using an undocumented API in Windows and the world is completely full circle. So I just, I found that pretty funny. Anyways, the new Windows build is out. If you have not yet already, it can be downloaded from Windows Update. But um, they're saying sandboxing is wrecked in Chrome. A build once, Brad, that's a different thing, completely different. Okay. Well, the documentation online, so I, I concede that I could be wrong. I'm not above saying that, but that's what initially came out was it was an incorrect API usage. But anywho, anyways, um, the Chrome Canary build remedies this issue with the memory management and all the other stuff. Um, whatever changed or broken 10525. So if you do use Chrome on that, um, go grab the Canary bit. Um, so M they're saying the reason why it's different is Microsoft YouTube app took away ad revenue. Um, so, I mean, you could argue that Chrome is taking away Internet Explorer revenue. I don't really want to go down that route because it's not really a logical argument. Um, but it was more so that they were just using undocumented stuff. Anywho, anywho, so this new build of Windows 10 is out. You can grab it from Windows Update. And it is for fast ring only right now, and there's no ISOs out. Um, I mean, there's undocumented ISOs that you can grab. I should say undocumented, but um, non-official ISOs that are available. And yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of it. It's been a crazy week for Microsoft. A lot of good things coming. Uh, somebody else said Brad is right. Uh, yeah, if you go read, if you go read um, the Google code base, so it was an API issue. Um, but I believe your argument was that it's not the same because Microsoft's app was taking away revenue from Google. 
as opposed to where Google is not taking away revenue from Microsoft. It was more so the argument was that they were using un both using undocumented APIs. Google threw a fit over it. Microsoft just said whatever. Anyways, so that's kind of been the week of Microsoft. A lot of good stuff coming out next week. Should be really interesting to see what I can dig up on campus with Redmond, um, at Redmond. Um, and I'm also going to leave you with an, a massive cliffhanger, too. And so this is not Microsoft related, but there are some big changes coming. Some big changes coming. Um, and I'll be able to explain more here in a little bit. But just keep in mind that some things are changing. And I will fill you in as soon as I am able to. So as we started off, today is August 21st, 2015. This has been Episode 7 of the Redmond Report. I appreciate you listening. And have a good weekend, everybody.